award-winning Tennessee Wildcast is on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, wildlife watching, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tennessee Wildcast. We're glad you're tuning in. Thanks for watching, for listening. we got another show, great show lined up for you today. We are back at the Cumberland, uh, Cumberland River Aquatic Center in Gallatin, Tennessee. Yes. Don King helping me co-host. We're Thank three you. for three here, you know? Yeah. You know, we come to a great place like this. We've got to keep it raw. Oh, I know it. I know. Uh, if you haven't watched or listened to the last couple weeks, you need to go back and do that. Definitely. Uh, to, to just uh, check out those shows, learn more about this facility. We really touched on the history and, and kind of uh, where it's come from and what it is today. And then we've also touched on the life cycle of mussels and, and just muscle uh, history and things like that. Today, we're going to touch on muscle production and the work that Dan and Jason and the crew over here behind us are doing in this facility. So I'm excited. Excited to have you guys back. Yeah. Thank you. This is Dan Waugh and Jason Wisniewski. And uh, I'll let them do a quick introduction on their title and what they do for the agency. That way we can, I don't miss anything and we'll jump into what's happening here. But Dan, I'll let you start. All right. Um I'm the uh, biologist and also the manager for the, uh, this facility in uh, CRAC or Cumberland River Aquatic Center since 2015 after I spent 12 years at Virginia Tech as the manager for the Freshwater Mollusca Conservation Center and uh, since then we uh, started the uh, muscle propagation program placed in Tennessee. Yes. All right. <laughs> All right. We're, we're glad to have you in Tennessee for sure. Jason, go ahead. I'm Jason Wisniewski, I'm the Mollusk Conservation Coordinator here with TWRA. And uh, basically, I I compliment Dan as the, uh, I guess, the field component of the work that she does. And I help her to find the broodstock, collect broodstock or fish or do anything that, that she may need to. Uh, She's the boss. Uh, well, yeah, she is the <laughs> boss. No, we're... Uh, on a whole boss <laughs> yeah we just you know it's one of those things nobody's a boss it's just uh you know the the species and the uh the resource are the boss and we just do whatever we can to protect and enhance it that's cool that's one that's a good way to put it that's, yeah uh, good team here good yeah, team good all team. the way around and everyone who works in wildlife that's what they're working for to protect it enhance it make it better that's awesome yeah that's a good way to put it all for the animals all for the animals yep. yeah that's great uh so uh rack we've touched on it cumberland river aquatic center uh at one point it was in a smaller shop out back here yep. or further up i guess a little bit and uh we're on the property here at gallatin uh, fossil plant steam plant um uh we had some raceways and and a vision of uh, david sims uh we got those up and running a few years and then they needed that property back, so they built us this facility with partnerships between TVA and Corps of Engineers and Fish and Wildlife Service and all kinds of people. And, and now we have this uh, where we are able to produce these mussels, uh, propagate these mussels, and get them back into the system. That's right. The ones that are endangered and, and even ones that aren't. We're able to get those back and add more out there. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So real quick, we're going to summarize the importance of mussels. What's the role of that mussel out there? All right. And uh, probably uh, you do not really often realize 
how do they do you know in your, in our lifetime but they are very important in our ecosystem cuz um the freshwater mussel uh, the mussel they are food feeder and they um remove all the particles and from the water system for us so that means they are cleaning our water for us yeah and um, the other one is uh, they are water quality indicate because they have the limited of the movement. So if there's anything happening in the ecosystem and they are the one firstly get impact. So if there's something happen, you see there's the muscle, you know, die off the mint. The Something's ecosystem going is going there. on that yeah. is wrong. Uh, so that and also, uh, you know, for the... For, for the mussels and um, that's beyond the eco, you know, ecological importance. There's also commercially important as well. Some species they can uh, make jewelries, or you know, they can make button, or they can make the poles as well. And um, that is some of the species they can play this role, you know, for the. For, for us, so uh, yeah. that's why we love them. And the most important thing is the um, Endangered Species Act is like a, a foundation, and uh, you may be able to lose one or two species. The, the building still be okay, the foundation still be okay, but when you lose 20% yeah. of the you know, species or the parts of the foundation, right. That building is disabled, so that's kind of I uh, we we don't want loss all those species. Much know. bigger impact. Exactly, yeah. that's kind of uh, you know they play the great role in the whole ecosystem. So. Well, and as Jason mentioned in the earlier show, it's uh, one of the most diverse areas, right, for mussels. Yeah. So the southeast, not just Tennessee, but all across Georgia and Alabama and different areas that. That you know, this is it's important that we protect these species and and make sure they're still around and keep our waters healthy and clean and filtrated and I mean it's it, it plays a big role, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's something I like to to mention to folks. You know, like these mussels are out there; they live in the bottom of your rivers and streams, and uh, they're filtering the algae. Well, that algae is food for for uh, your little zooplankton stuff that's crawling around out there that you don't even see, you can't really see, mm -hmm. but that's what your larval fish feed on. Those larval fish turn into big fish. Those turn into bait for your bass, your, you know, whatever fish you like to fish for. Yeah. That that affects everything through the entire food web. And as those, uh, those mussels filtrate and uh, uh, do their jobs out there, they are basically having a, a trophic cascade in the watersheds that yeah that can affect everything even if you have no interest in mussels it might be affecting uh uh you know other stuff and then you know of course there's other things that that as we do more research we might find that that mussels are really important for you know we we know so very little about what the importance of a lot of species are for us or for the natural environment but who's to say that some time down the road somebody doesn't do some research on muscle you know i've never seen a tumor on a muscle but maybe it can occur but maybe there's some key there to curing cancer yeah uh, you so never that's know why we don't want to see these things go away because they're they serve all sorts of purposes and uh, one of the yeah. things i always like to say is somebody much smarter than me put them there so it's not my job to question it's just your job to protect them take right? care of that's them. right yeah. take care of them and as dan said you know it's kind of the 
they can be the canary in the coal mine, so to speak, as far as aquatic things go. You know, when you see uh, issues with mussels not surviving in a yeah. certain watershed or a certain area of a, a stream or river, then you, you look deeper. You say, well, what's, what's going, going on, on here? Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, and one of the things that, that uh, I think this will be a good segue into the uh, uh, this episode is that, uh, you know, a lot of times what happens is these mussels can be fairly resilient to where uh, you'll see adults uh, staying in a particular reach river. Uh, everything's doing great. And then one day those animals just blink out. And uh, you think, okay, it's some problem that's happening right now, but actually the problem happened 20, 30 years ago because they weren't reproducing. Oh, and whenever okay. that reproduction stops, there's nothing to replace those older animals. And that's kind of where uh, propagation facilities like CRAC come into play in which we can actually produce some of those those juvenile mussels to put them out in these rivers that might not be having good reproduction, uh, especially once we we find out what was harming the rivers or harming the waters to where they weren't reproducing naturally. Yeah. So uh, that's really where the value of, of facilities like this really come into play. Right, right. Well, Dan, do you want to kind of elaborate on that and talk about the processes here and kind of how uh, maybe uh, Jason's collection and he brings in the brood and then you're working with these mussels to, to propagate them? Yeah, the uh, main thing here is uh, the process uh, or just for here to happen, there's two things going on right now. Is The one is uh, using the natural uh, muscle life cycle and uh, we need to get the fish and get the muscle yeah. for them to in here in house for the propagation and get them uh you know produced and the best on the species what are we trying to work with so it's a nat that's the natural natural cycle, cycle trying to give them the best elements they have here yeah. to, to, to reproduce yeah and um the other thing is what you always have been working on that since uh i got here since 2015 graduate work from the you know for setting a laboratory for the in vitro culture uh -huh. so the in vitro culture is uh apply the cell culture techniques and then produce the juvenile muscles in the pitcher dish and not have to use any fish as a host okay so that way um you know because lots of time and uh you will have the challenging find the right fish host for the species and they all the same hosts, they could walk at a certain distance, but they cannot produce good number of the juvenile muscles for you. Mm. So that way, if we could, you know, use that technique into this propagation of the fresh muscle, that would be ideal. So that was uh, this year, and I had a tr tried over, I think, over nine species okay. I worked with using the, you know, uh, in vitro culture uh -huh. and uh, success. And uh, we produce uh, more juvenile muscles through the in vitro culture. Wow. So uh, um, the vitro culture, which is, uh, you know, uh, if you Google it, you will find basically you have to have the basic medium and you have to have the nutrients from animal, which we use the, um, rabbit and the horse you'll never think get the link between the fresh muscles <laughs> and the horse <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in this in vitro culture you can use that and they worked great and i think probably the horse is the first time we have been used for the uh, uh, in vitro culture of freshwater muscles and then so um, the rabbit and the horse and it's their blood right that's 
blood. Okay. And, and you mix that with? Mix with the, the basic medium. Uh-huh. And also, we need to put the antibiotics because otherwise, you'll get contaminants going in the petri dish, right? So, um, with that, and put them in the petri dish, put them in the controlled environment, which is uh, incubate okay. for certain days. Then they will have the uh, development of everything. The organs start with, you know, until they developed everything with until the foot developed. So that's the time you can get them out. And then they become juvenile muscles. And uh, wow. that's, that's kind of, you know, cool stuff. And you do not have to follow all those uh, natural life cycle and just to use the in vitro culture techniques to produce the juvenile muscles. That's cool. One of the real benefits of that is, you know, and Dan kind of talked about that, that life cycle of the muscles. Uh, you know, whenever you're dealing with muscles, you have to be able to hold those animals to keep them alive, the muscles themselves. Uh, then you have to also hold those fish. And whenever these muscles infest the fish, it's actually a parasite that's going on there. So you're inducing uh, an additional stress onto those fish that makes it difficult to hold sure. those fish and keep them alive keep them disease free you know that's whenever diseases set in is whenever animals are stressed All right so uh if we can remove that whole component uh that is one thing that can make her life a lot easier when it comes to propagation so uh yeah this is still during the uh, research because of the uh CREC, you know also a research center so this is another um study seeing if the uh progeny, would it be any different from the fish or from the muscle? Had it been studied before, and, uh, but it's just a certain limited level. So we still continue to compare the juvenile muscles from the fish host or from the in vitro and see if there's any you know, genetic difference uh -huh. you know, for the generations. But I, I believe this would be um, the goal you know, for some species. Even you do not find their host, you do not know if it was the host for them. So, but at least we can have them grow out, you know, in the in vitro. Yeah. And um, before they gone, you, you cannot wait until, you know, one day you say, oh, we already lost them because we didn't get any uh, host fish for them. And we tried, we tried, we couldn't find a host fish. But if we use the uh, in vitro culture technique, we get them into the in vitro and then we produce them. Right. At least have something. Have something. Yeah. Yes. And then, you know, like you said, compare those species and see. Yeah. I, I think it's amazing. It's kind of, it's groundbreaking things happening right here in Tennessee, which is cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and the, the uh, percentage rate that's coming out, I mean, you're having success, right? With yes. These, uh, they're, they're surviving. What's that? Uh, was it like 98% or something like that? You mean the uh, recap monitoring or you're talking about? Well, as you're, as you're growing these muscles and releasing, oh, you're able okay. to release Yeah, we good the, numbers. Let's start from the production. Since um, we started the muscle propagation work, uh -huh. it's about 252,000 juvenile muscles has been produced. Right, okay, okay. Representing 19 species. And of those 19 species of freshwater mussels, 14 are federally listed endangered. Okay. So it has been produced. And then over 20,000 mussels have been rest restored in Tennessee. And a few portion of them we also give, you know, the other states and uh, for their 
restoration work uh -huh. when we have you know the extra you know muscles to produce so we're having doing that on that's awesome so two two hundred and fifty two thousand yes uh juvenile muscles 19 species since 2016 2016 have been yeah. reintroduced or pushed put back yeah, and because uh, when we started, because, you know, everything when I got here is just uh, the building. So the time when you start to work with the muscles, you still start to build all the system at the same time. So uh, it's kind of pretty new uh, facility, but I think I'm proud we could produce that good number of the fresh you know, muscles since then. And uh, one of the species I want to mention is the pale lilliput that was uh, had been uh, considering already extinct in Tennessee and um, back to uh, 2015 they found a small population in Lake Creek okay and, um, and then 2016 because I got here by end of July so that's already past that propagation season so I didn't get a chance to work with this species and uh, 2016 and uh, Dunhub and I found this species again, and he brought me uh, 10, 10 individual of the, you know, pale lily. Plant. 10 of those, okay. Yeah, then he said, can you work with this one? I said, oh yeah, I, I, I would love to. I know we don't have it in Virginia. So I uh, started to work with that species, 2016, produced 4,000 of those juvenile mussels out of that batch. So wow. that number is kind of so, um, exciting and then also we got those results sent to fish and wildlife service and um that's how i be able to bring in one million dollars for for you know c-rec to do the propagation and the uh, restoration of freshwater mussels and uh i think that's kudos to the first batch out of the pair lily put which yeah. was back to some 16. yeah that's awesome. So, you all propagate these. Do you mark them? Do you tag them? Do you make sure you know where they are and be able to track them and, and follow up on these animals? Yes. These muscles? Yeah. We do. Because uh, um, once all those um, muscles get to the tagable size, that's the time we get them tagged or labeled before we pull them out. Okay. So, um, we have different tagging techniques. One is use the, you know, kind of plastic piece we, we call whole print tag. And then uh, for them, if we have large number, we'll just label them with the blue dots. And then some, the, uh, most, all of the endangered species, if not tag with another one as a pit tag, we will take portion of that using the pit tags because that's kind of costs a little bit more money to pit tag them. Oh, yeah. If, before we get them back. So that will help us to recapture them for the monitoring program. Because the purpose for restoration is we want to make sure the, the restored population, they are healthy and then, you know, the population is growing and uh, that's how you all can get those information from the uh, recapturing of those muscles. That's what we uh, tag them for sure before we put them out. Okay. Just to add to what Dan said with the pit tag she was mentioning that uh, stands for passive integrated transponder which is a fancy way of saying that we chip our muscles uh, the same way you would with a dog or a cat uh, yeah yeah 
and then we can actually tell those individuals and track them and and uh and it's actually pretty cool some of the stuff that she's developed and, and worked with with those pit tags to uh uh, you don't even actually have to handle the animals if you don't want to, if you want yeah. to see if they're even still there. So it's, that's yeah, that, right. Yeah. yeah. That was the, uh, back, I did my PhD do, uh, monitoring those, uh, released, uh, populations of freshwater mussels back in Virginia. So that's the first time I, uh, applied the pit tech on the freshwater mussels. And then we applied on the wine endangered species I used for my PhD study. And uh, after I tag using pit tag, and it recapturates from below 5% to over 98%. Wow. So that's how, and now I think pit tag has been used everywhere yeah. <laughs> for the muscle, uh, you know, tagging. That's that 98% I was looking for. Yeah, that's what I from that. Detection, yeah, the detection rate. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. And that's the same type of tag we use in our fish too, right? Yeah. Pit tags are used in fish. And yeah, exactly. It does make it easier to, to find them. So uh, just recently, uh, you guys were out collecting and, and doing some stuff, doing some work with those muscles. What was that work? Uh, I saw some pictures. You had bunches of them you collected and uh, what's is that some of the post collection and things that you're working on yeah that's the part of our monitoring program monitoring yeah so okay. we do that every year and um especially for restored population because that's what we want to make sure they're doing okay and uh, that's all you, the, the picture you saw that's the one we collected then through the pit tagging, uh, you know we have the detect you saw the detector over there and by the time when you it's hard to find them yeah. if you do not use the pit tag. Yeah. And then when you use the pit tag, you find them and you locate them. You also find the ones without the pit tag uh -huh. at the same time. So that's, that's the picture you saw those. Okay. And then you know if they're not pit tag, well, that's success there. That's a, yeah. Yeah. Because you just need to know the portion, you know, the portion of your release the population, be able to do your modeling stuff. Yeah. yeah, so that's the really cool thing this year is Dan was out doing some of the monitoring. Actually, even uh, uh, I guess it was uh, uh, Don Hubbs, who's a retired muscle biologist here. He yeah. was out doing a survey on the Duck River, and he picked up a small juvenile pellilliput, and uh, it wasn't tagged. So that was oh, obviously one that, good news. that came from recruitment of the animals that they'd put out. And then when we were at the Duck River this year, I guess yeah, it was this fall, we picked up at least one more there and uh so that's really cool when you start seeing those animals recruiting into the population that's the success you want to see because you know we don't want to be putting these animals out forever for an individual population otherwise right. we just kind of have a a put and take muscle uh, uh population but if we can actually head start them to where they can start producing their own animals and produce a viable population uh that's what what builds another population that meets the the check boxes i guess in the recovery plans for ultimately delisting these species yeah that is the species we talked about paralytic that's the one we target for delist or downlist yeah i bet that's that's rewarding to yes. to be out there and see that and that's the most exciting thing to see <laughs> i'd say it's very emotional for you guys i, I mean you work on those yeah. all the time yeah that's great well, I had down here to talk about some of the gear and things that you use out in the field. What you know, um, I'm sure there's for collection and sampling. I know you're out with shockers getting the fish, and yeah. there's cool technology y'all get to use out there and in and in the labs. Yeah, mostly we uh, when we collect the fish, we use the backpack shock. 
that yeah. kind of thing. And then um, also our also get the help from our country. You know, um, they usually produce the fish, so I will collect the post fish from them. Mm. Eagle Bay hatchery and the Springfield hatchery, and our lake uh, crew guys like Pat and his team and the Mike from the Region One, the team because they do the sampling all the time. They will, you know, provide us some host fish as well. So it's uh, that's back to what I say. It's just a family and, and yeah. everybody help each other. Yeah. Everybody works together. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And so for, uh, you know, in order to get the mussels, what we do a lot of times, you know, of course, it's the same thing. We do, uh, uh, you know, it's that family effort. We have all of our regional folks that come out and help uh, folks from here, folks from, all over and uh, we'll go out to the rivers and uh, in a lot of cases most of your rare mussels are going to be in water that's less than knee deep. Uh, okay. That's just just the ideal habitat and that's why a lot of them aren't so so common anymore either because a lot of the uh, uh, the reservoirs and the damming of rivers has just caused inhospitable habitats for them but uh, uh -huh. I've driven away the host fish as well but uh, oh, yeah. uh, so in that shallow water we can go in there and snorkel or hand collect uh, do that kind of stuff but you know, occasionally if we need to go get some of the bigger river species, something like the Tennessee River, uh, we have specialized boats that we can go out, uh, actually dive down to the bottom. Yeah. Uh, we got surface air supply uh, diving equipment so you can get down there and you don't have to have a tank and all the, the stuff that can can be a little bit of a pain when you're diving, but right. uh, you, know, you just have that air hose running down and you just, uh, you know, the air is going to come down through there and, and uh, you know, you can have a lot more time without having to go get tanks filled and it's just uh, uh, a very beneficial way of of collecting these animals but uh you know a lot of times if you can't see anything you're down there just feeling in the dark and, <laughs> and uh you know things that go bump in the night it's kind of kind of one of those deals you might as well have your eyes closed but uh uh you just reach around and feel what you can and uh you know sometimes you can see it and you can kind of uh you know figure out what you have there and bag it and bring it to the surface and then once we get those we bring them back here where they can be held and uh and then you know when the time's right whenever we get the host fish everything else is going right dan can work her magic to infest them and uh grow them out and hopefully get them out there so we can keep those populations going awesome yeah lucky we have our dive team and uh, would be able to do that because i'm not certified and only you know some people can do the uh river dive we uh -huh. call scientific dive it's different as other kind of dive i'm open what certified but not for the scientific side <laughs> <laughs> so it all all everybody works together we got good teamwork yes uh, it's been amazing to to hear how this these processes work and the work that you guys are doing it's great uh and how y'all work together i i would encourage folks if you're out in these small streams and rivers to keep your eyes out and, and if you see them that's cool would you suggest not touching not handling but just to observe them and and that would be best. Uh, yeah. They don't really like being disturbed. So if they're alive, sometimes when you handle them, you can cause some disturbance. The other thing that a lot of people aren't aware of, there's a lot of endangered mussels. Yeah. And uh, yeah. handling them without the appropriate permits is a violation of law. So yes. it's better off just to leave them be and uh, observe them from a distance. Uh, same thing with shells that you see there. Those are parts of endangered species or could be parts and uh, that would be a violation as well so but but while you're out there enjoy seeing them and and and, and notice these things around you it's pretty cool yeah uh, just uh but remember they're endangered and can be and you know uh, it's good to leave them alone and, but just enjoy tennessee wildlife get outside 
thank you guys for all you do. This yeah. was this well, is thank an you amazing for all you do too. Amazing facility and just great team and uh, appreciate you guys very much. Thank you very much. You know, one of the things I just wanted to, <laughs> wanted to throw out there, you know, this is a great facility that a lot of people wouldn't know about without programs like this. So thank you for, yeah. for getting the word out there. Well, thank you. Bet. Thank you. you. All right. Well, this is Tennessee Wildcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.